not just say a prayer, but to actually pray and interact with God. Chapter two, we talked about how patient prayer, it clarifies our call as it did for Nehemiah and that it prepares us for the action that we're called to. And then chapter three, I pawned off on AK because it's a tough one. I didn't do that on purpose, but I'm glad I did. And we talked to how people, he talked about how we live in community with one another, right? The next two, 25 to 28 times, we're still debating. The next two, and over there, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them. And they rebuilt together. And then last week we talked about when opposition comes, our prayer and preparation must be accompanied by a collective perseverance. It's not about my perseverance, or your perseverance, or there. It's our perseverance together, right? We can't... We can't do any rebuilding. We can't see renewal. We can't see any of the things that we're called to if we don't collectively persevere. There's a theme that you see running through Nehemiah. It wasn't just a wall there rebuilding, but a community. Before we get too far into it, um, there's this thing when I became a believer, I had this idea of what church was going to be like. I was going to show up and we were going to sing Kumbaya and share some s'mores. And everybody was going to be nice to each other. (laughs) And then I realized that it's exactly like every other family on the face of the earth. Siblings fight. They can't get along. They rebel against their dad. There's strife inside the family. And it's one of those things that I've struggled to understand and wish it could be different. This is part of what we're doing together, right? We're trying to understand how to get along as a family. Some of you younger ones who are like, I don't know what you mean. This morning on a Sunday, for whatever reason, it's every Sunday that you decide to fight in your house about everything. I wanted that seat in the car. I wanted the last bowl of cereal. Get out of the bathroom. Right? Siblings, we fight. And it wouldn't be funny if it wasn't so true. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand real high if you've ever been hurt by somebody inside the church. Go ahead, don't be shy. Last hour, they were bold. This is as good as bold as you guys. That's good. Inside the church, right? Inside the family of God. And the good news is, is that this is not the only church of God, the only family that this happens to. Of course, we need to work on it, right? But see, what was happening with Nehemiah is the same thing that happens with us, is that we have conflict within the family. So we have opposition from outside of us, right? We have opposition that comes spiritually at us. And the problem is, is that we faultily believe that it's at one another, and we forget that as we go towards the call of God, that we're fighting a different fight. We talked about that last week. But when it happens inside, it means a little more. It hurts a little more, doesn't it? Right? We expect people outside to give you trouble. You expect people, and it's funny, when people, somebody hurts you outside the church, you're like, oh man, that didn't feel very good. Right? But when somebody wounds you inside the family, right, we know one another. We know how to exploit one another's weaknesses. I know, my, for instance, I know what makes my sister infuriated. And I am great at doing that. Right? How many of you have siblings? If you have siblings, you guys know this, right? You know exactly what you can do or say that's going to really get them. 
And then sometimes we do things without understanding that, that cause these problems. And this is what Nehemiah was talking about. Inside the family of God, there were issues. And the way he dealt with it really was important. So we're just going to go through it. And I'm just going to tell you up front so that you don't have to wonder about if, I, if I'm speaking or preaching for a particular reason. My job today is to tell you what it says and to call us as a church to do what it says. I'm not going to preach today's message with anything else in mind just to be on the front end, okay? I don't care about your political stance. I don't care what you believe about the social stuff. I'm gonna tell you what it says and call us as a church to do it. Just on the front end so you don't have to wonder where I'm coming from. Fair? Here's what it says, Nehemiah chapter five. Let's talk about it. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers, so there was an outcry. There was a conflict in the family. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we have to mortgage our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And although we are the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. It's interesting, isn't it? This was not just a problem like that was then, this is now. This is a now thing as well. I read a story this morning um, uh, on IJM's website because I... I love and appreciate what they do around the world. There are people right now, this young man was 12, year old, 12 years old when he was taken into slavery because his family was, couldn't afford what they needed. Mom made $2.70 a week, I think is what it said, for all day work, right? And they didn't see him for eight years. They didn't see him for eight years. Countrymen, this was not a foreigner to somebody in the country. This was countrymen. They were the same people, the same culture and background and heritage. This is what was happening in this time with Nehemiah. I'll give you there are four main difficulties, and here's what they were. There was a food shortage, right? They needed to get grain to keep their families alive. The work on the wall hindered them from tending their crops, so there was a famine, right? Others had grain. They were buying it from others, but to get it, they were having to mortgage their stuff. They were having to mortgage their property they were, because they didn't have enough to get what they needed. There were others that, not wanting to mortgage their property, had to borrow money from their Jewish brothers to pay property taxes. And then the problem was compounded by the fact that they were charging exorbitant interest. Here's what was happening. Hey, I don't want to mortgage my property, but I still need grain, so I'm going to borrow money to pay my property taxes. Right, So Jeremiah lends me the money, but on top of the money that he, he let me borrow, he's charging me like a 1,000% interest. So there's literally no way for me to come out ahead at all. Not just to get the grain, but then I have nothing to my name as well. So he's taken everything, and I'm still struggling to eat. And we're brothers. That's, that, I'm just telling you, that's what the, that's what this, this is what it says here. 
And so because they didn't have property or money, they were sending their kids. They were, their kids were being taken into slavery in order to get the grain that they needed to survive. So in order to get what they needed, very basic needs of food, they were losing their family. And it wasn't at the hands of foreigners or oppressors that weren't, were outside. It was not Gentiles. It was one another. It would be like that happening amongst us. See what he says. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Here's the thing about anger, right? When you hear of something that is wrong, right? If I went around the room and said, what makes you angry? We would all hear a bunch of stuff, right? And all valid, very valid things, right? A lot of people have been very angry about a lot of things over the last year and a half. Is that fair? And they're valid. He was very angry. Being angry is not a sin. Did you know that? Being angry is not a sin. God gets angry. Probably at me most of the time, let's be honest. God gets angry. Now, it's not a sin to be angry, but acting in anger is. It's what you do with your anger, right? Being angry, there's something that has to happen in the in-between before you act. Right? When I act in anger, it doesn't go well in my house or anywhere else for good reason, because it shouldn't happen that way. Responding without thinking is when we get into trouble. Here's what Nehemiah did with his anger. When I heard their outcry and these charges, right, he heard about how Jewish brothers were treating one another. He heard how the same flesh and blood was extorting and exploiting the weakness in their siblings, in their brothers. He was very angry. And here's what he said. I pondered them in my mind and then. I took what I heard that made me angry and I thought about it and I prayed about it and then. And the and then really matters because what he did is he took time to take in the information. The Deuteronomy tells it like this. God told the people, if you hear of your brothers worshiping other gods, worshiping idols, I want you to, uh, what does it say? Uh, inquire, probe, and investigate. And then. Now the and then in that circumstance was not good. He said, I want you to know, are people worshiping false gods? Are they worshiping idols? Are they, are they, have they left me? Have they rebelled against me? If so, I want you to inquire, ponder it, probe, get all the information, investigate, make sure you understand what is true and real, and then kill them, get rid of them. Now, I'm not telling you that's what anybody should do, especially like if, you're, if your kids make you mad. Sure, inquire, probe, investigate, but don't end then kill them. I'm just telling you what it said in Deuteronomy in that moment. That's God. Jesus fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. We're in, of course, there's the cross. So listen, that's not, we don't live by that law. That's just what it says. But the, the, the principle is still the same. He was angry. He inquired, probed, investigated. He pondered, and then, here's what he did. He swept it under the carpet so he didn't have to deal with it. No, here's what it says, listen. And then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury, exorbitant interest from your own countrymen. 
He said, he direct, he said, listen, guys, this is unacceptable. You can't treat your brothers like this. You can't, you can't use your position and power and wealth to exploit and extort your brothers, your family. Now, let's put it in context for us for a second, just so we're clear. Look around the room. I want you to look around the room. Just look at the people that are in the room. Go ahead. Some of you are still looking at me. Look around. I want you to see some people. These people are your flesh and blood, not because they bear your last name or your country of origin. These people in this room are your flesh and blood because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are family, not because you share a last name, but because you bear the same name. Which means how we interact with one another matters. And when we hear of things as Nehemiah would, it matters. I'll get there. He accused them and said, this is unacceptable. So he called a large meeting to deal with them. And he says, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. In other words, we used our own resources and time, energy, and all the things to get people out of the slavery they were in. And what you're doing is you're putting them back into slavery except to us as the family. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. You know what their response was? Nothing. Because they didn't have anything to say about it. Family, listen. We're not that much different. And we're doing it in front of the whole world. We're treating family, flesh and blood, as though we're not related at all. We're taking things that people need and we're ex exploiting that. We're using our position, power and wealth in order to elevate ourselves instead of care for and serve other people. We're berating and demeaning one another because we don't agree about the things And we're no different than the Israelites in this sentence. And he said, so I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? See, what was happening is they were behaving this way and they were making God look bad. They were making God look bad and they had become reproach to their enemies. Jesus says it a little different than the New Testament. You can go look in John 13. He says, he says, I give you this new command, and it wasn't a new command. He says, I want you to love one another. He says, by the way that you love one another, you will show the world that you are my disciples. In other words, you will show people how great I am by how you love one another, how you take care of the family, how you treat your family. First Peter says that you live such a good life that even though you are around the pagans, you live such a good life that your life and how you act and how you treat one another, they might have accusations, but they won't be able to accuse you because of the way you treat one another.
we bear the name of Jesus and we represent or not represent him, not because we show up at church and because we put it on our Instagram front page bio. We don't represent Christ with the fish on our car. That's not how we represent the name of Jesus according to the scriptures. We represent the name of Jesus by the way that we love one another. And that when somebody is in need in the family, that we don't take advantage of that for our own gain, but rather do what he asked them to do. Here's what he says. He says, look, my and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. He said, but let the exacting and usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, and new wine and oil. He says, look, I'm giving them money too so they can get grain. That's fine. And it didn't even mean that they weren't going to pay him back at some point. He just wasn't going to ask for more than what he had given them. He was saying, I'm certainly not going to make the mortgage their fields to get them grain. The pinch that I feel from my pocketbook is worth it if a brother can be taken care of. It's real simple, right? This is what Nehemiah is talking about. And here's what he says. They said, we will give it back and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Now, this is great. He got what he needed, right? They were rebuked in a godly way. Because he prayed and pondered and then he accused, he was able to check himself, right? He was able to check himself. And when he brought the accusation, he was able to do it in a way that they could hear it, I believe. And they heard it and they said, yes, we're in. You're right. You're right. We'll do it. And then you know what he did? This is my favorite part. Nehemiah's like, that's perfect. I'd like you to come over here and meet with me and I've got some priests because we're gonna tell God that we're gonna do it. See, because we can look each other in the face on a Sunday. Hey, I got your back. Hey, I got you. You Let me know if you need anything. And then when the need comes, not do it. Right? And as you all know, talk is cheap, isn't it? So here's what he says. He says, we're going to take an oath before God so that what you say you're going to do, you will be bound to God to fulfill so that you can actually live in the fear of him and not the fear of me as the leader. Right? And so they bring him before God and he says this. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. He said, look, we're in this together. We're gonna do this together. We're gonna be the next twos. We're gonna have collective perseverance. We do all the things we've been talking about. But if you don't, peace out. Like, we don't have it belong because we can't live this way as a family. And they said, at, at this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. They fulfilled their yes. Right? We know this in the Bible, Matthew 5. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, look, you've made oaths to me. Don't swear by heaven or on earth or by anything else there. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He said, go do it. Go do it. Now, I mean, I want to make something very clear. And we're gonna, I'm going to explain why I'm about to say this. You'll, it'll make sense. 
It is not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have power or position. It's not a sin to be in any of those places. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But when we use position, power, and wealth as a means to get ahead of everybody else, we miss the point. God does not give a person power, position, or wealth to keep it to themselves. God gives a person power, position, and wealth in order to serve other people. That's God's economy, right? The American dream is that we would attain, attain, and get, and get so that we would be elevated that makes me the winner. In God's kingdom, in his economy, hey, I'm glad to give you position and power and wealth and all the things, but I want you to use it to serve other people and to make everybody else elevated. If you follow a leader, the best people you've ever worked for were people who served you the best, right? The people who you work for, the best bosses, the best leaders you've been around are all people, when others are around, they feel elevated, they feel equipped and sent and cared for. That's the, that's the position, how many times have you had a boss that lorded their authority over you and you just were like, gosh, I love this job. Man, I love this church. That pastor is so arrogant. Man, that pastor, he just, he sure seems like the best thing in the room. I can't wait to go back next Sunday. See, you know this intrinsically, especially with Christ in your life. And yet... Sometimes we struggle to put it into practice, right? And then I love this. I love this. Just one more thing. Just kidding. He says, at this, the whole assembly, and he goes, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor, he was elevated his position. He was appointed governor over Judah. Until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Sidebar. He was allotted a certain amount of perks as the governor. And he did not receive those. He did not take those perks. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? how much benefit there was to other people because he did not take what they were going to allot him as the leader of Judah. He goes, he goes on and says this. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. See, because there's this thing as leaders, we, we, we come to expect and deserve Right? Well, I'm a leader. Like It's a hard job, so if they're going to give me extra, I'm going to take extra, even at the expense of the people you are meant to lead and serve. And so Nehemiah is simply writing, hey, listen, we knew there was a need, and he was trying to tell people, I'm going to lead by example. I'm not just going to tell you to do it, but I'm going to lead by example. So I'm going to take the things that were allotted. I'm not going to take those so it doesn't put a heavier burden on the people who are already suffering and struggling through the life. Here's why. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. He stayed focused on his call rather than using his position for himself. He stayed focused on his call. He didn't need the extra stuff. He just wanted to move forward and make sure everybody else was taken care of. He 
He said, all my men were assembled there for the work and we did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came up to us from the surrounding nations. And he goes on, in spite of all of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Here's the thing. Out of reverence for God, he did not act like this. Out of the fear of the Lord, we wanted to take care of our family differently so we wouldn't be a reproach to the Gentiles. Philippians 2 says it like this, and I'm gonna finish with this. Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. That sounds familiar to the Jews at the wall, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. If we could get this one thing right, this is not the first time I've said this, I realize that. If we could get this one thing right, in humility, consider others as, as more important than yourselves, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what the church would look like inside the walls, and I wonder what the world would look like after we got outside the walls. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, here's the why. Here's why we act this way. Here's why we care better for one another. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he had the highest position. He had the most resources. He had the best platform. He did not consider equity with God or equality with God, rather, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let me be super clear again. It doesn't matter what your political stance is on any of the issues. As a Christian man, woman, or child, if you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you live by the Spirit of God. It is our job to understand that the highest place we can be is at the very bottom. And that it is our job to love one another in good faith and in the same spirit and the same purpose because Jesus showed us how. Because Jesus showed us how to care for each other. Jesus showed us not to hold on to our stuff. Jesus told us that we are to care for people who can't care for themselves this is not a political problem. It's a spiritual one. And the only fix is Jesus. Because spiritual problems demand a spiritual fix. It's the same fix as it has been for all generations since the fall of man in the garden. And it only comes through Jesus. 
I wonder if we could elevate the name of Jesus in our conversations. I wonder if we could elevate the name of Jesus in our solutions that need to take place. I wonder if we can ponder, probe, investigate, inquire, and then, with the name of Jesus, go forward in our interactions with one another. And I wonder how it would look then. I wonder what this would look like then. I'm gonna ask the same thing that Nehemiah did. I'm gonna ask that you say yes to doing it the way God wants. That you would conform to the image of Jesus, not the image of your party, not the image of your social things, not the image of what the world says God is, not the image that makes you feel good, but that you would say yes with me to conforming to the image of Jesus as found in this book, only. Because he shows us. I don't need somebody to tell me what it's like to conform because he tells us. It's right here. So let's learn together and let's do together. Right here. I love you. I do. Thank you for collectively persevering through this life together. Thank you for being committed to his word and to conforming to his image together. Thank you for letting me and my amazing wife and my children be a part of this family. I'll commit to you to not harm you on purpose and when I do to own it. And I'm gonna ask that you commit to not harming one another on purpose and when you do to own it so that we can lift up the name of Jesus above every other name so that when people look at us and how we care, we won't be reproach in their eyes. Father, thank you so much for your grace and kindness to us. Oh Lord, would that grace and kindness be the measure and the um, example that we need to do it the way you do it, that we would take time after becoming angry to respond. Not running away, but responding in the same mercy that you have shown us that we would not fall into the same trap that the Jewish brothers and sisters did here and those over time have done and that we have also fallen into. Oh God, have mercy on your people and have mercy on me, Lord. As we do every service, we're gonna finish with prayer. So those who help with prayer, if you would make your way up this direction and uh, everybody else would you stand at your feet and as we sing this last song if you need prayer please come forward if you need to pray for someone come forward if you need to experience just somebody uh, praying with you to, to, to interact with God this is a great time if you want to know Jesus this is a great place to do it and let's worship as a response to God's grace and mercy to what he's been doing Thank you for that word. Um, that was awesome. Like you said, if you, anyone needs prayer, please um, come down and receive it. But now 
See you. 